Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Easter. That's right. It's still Easter tide, the season of Easter, these 50 days between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. It's a time of celebration in the life of the church. We're celebrating this season by having a sermon series called Life After Easter, where we look at how what happened on Easter Sunday, how it's changed everything forever. And we've been thinking about ways to continue to live into that celebration. Each week, I've encouraged people to you know, go home and, and or you know, go home, be at home and turn, turn your favorite song up to 11 for your sound system or when you're driving in your car. I've encouraged people to, to cook your favorite meal. Think about ways to celebrate. You know, one of my favorite games to play when I'm on a mission trip or when I'm with people, gosh, I miss being with people, uh, is a game that I like to call Taylor's Magical Restaurant. And I'll say to everybody who's there, okay, imagine you're at my magical restaurant and the magic that this restaurant holds is you can ask for anything you want. You can get anything you want at Taylor's Magical Restaurant. And so I'll say, okay, what do you want as your appetizer? What, is you, what do you want as your main course? What do you want as your dessert? And what do you want as your drink? And it's so fun to, to go around a table or, you know, when you're on a mission trip, when you're at a work site, to go around and hear what all those responses might be. You know, people will come up with the craziest answers of, of all the stuff that they want. And I always end with, what do you want to drink? Because usually, you know, especially when you're on a mission trip, you're usually pretty thirsty. And so I love, especially when you're with kids, they'll say, oh, gosh, I just want a Coca-Cola or I really want a Mountain Dew. Or, you know, I, I remember one kid said, gosh, I haven't had a Capri Sun in a long time. That's what I want. And just about every time I've been on a mission trip as an adult, I ask these, the kids these questions. And then the last person to go is usually the other adult on the trip. And just about every time I ask, the person says, oh, 
I could go for a glass of wine. <laughs> it's just so perfect. Um, so I, this week, I want to encourage you to, to not, I mean, you can turn your music up really loud. You can eat whatever you want. But I want you to think about what's your favorite drink? You know, if, if, you, if you go to the supermarket this week, maybe you haven't had a really cold glass of orange juice in a while or chocolate milk or a Capri Sun or whatever it is. Find that thing that you love to drink and, and, and have that this week. Rejoice. Think about how Jesus chose to spend his final evening sharing wine with his friends. Find that favorite drink of yours and have some this week as we continue to celebrate living in this time called Life After Easter. We're continuing to offer a lot of things here at Cokesbury in terms of staying connected during this time where we feel so disconnected. Facebook Live videos, email devotionals, uh, online worship, all that sort of stuff. You can find out more about the church and what we have here through our website or our Facebook page. There's an online bulletin for our service. It's, uh, there's a link to it in our video description. It will contain our, our prayers, our scripture, hymn, all that sort of important information. I commend that to you if it is at all helpful. So with that, thinking about celebration, thinking about uh, the fruit of the vine even, let's uh, close our eyes for a moment and rest in the good knowledge that God abides in us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Behold, Lord, we are empty vessels in need of filling. Lord, fill us, for we are weak in our faith, so strengthen us. We are cold in our love, so warm us and give us the strength to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. O Lord, help us. Increase our faith and our trust in you and in you alone. We are thankful, O Lord, that you remain steadfast even when we don't, that you abide with us even when we fail to abide in you. We are grateful, Lord, that you are the vine and we are your branches. Each of us now, Lord, will continue to pray to you, whether silently or loud, lifting up our own joys and our own concerns this day. As you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today, in this time called Life After Easter, is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along. Uh, the scripture is in the online bulletin. So hear now God's holy word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. 
Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 397, I Need Thee Every Hour. It's from the United Methodist Hymnal. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in our online bulletin. But join me now over at the drums as I play and sing. Sing with me. I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour, enjoy your pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour, teach me thy will. And thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed Son. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Abide in me as I abide in you. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was a kid, not even in middle school yet, when my family went on a trip to France. We didn't roam around Paris. We didn't wander through Versailles. We didn't hit up the Louvre or climb to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Instead, we spent our week exploring wine country in Provence and in Burgundy. Now, it was beautiful, the food was incredible, and I remember not really understanding anything that anyone said. And on the penultimate evening of our trip, we traveled to a chateau situated next to rolling, rolling hills, these fields filled with grapevines. 
It was a vineyard owned and operated by family friends who insisted that before we travel home, we stay with them for an evening and enjoy a meal with them. My sisters and I were on our very best behavior as we received a tour of this massive estate. And then I, I myself was whisked away from the group and down into the gigantic wine cove in the basement. My father had been unable to join us on the trip, and as the oldest male guest, it was apparently my responsibility to pick out the wine that would be consumed with dinner. Just as a reminder, I was at the tail end of elementary school. So I wandered through these dimly lit halls filled from floor to ceiling with unlabeled bottles of wine, wine that had been grown, fermented, and produced mere feet away from where I was walking. And the further, the deeper I walked into the crypt, the dustier the bottles became. And somehow I knew well enough that that the dustier the bottles were, that probably meant they were more expensive, more valuable. So I decided to come a little bit further away from the back and find something a little newer. And without having any other criteria, I picked three bottles that I saw. Moments later, we were seated around a massive dining room table with our host, Bruno, who pulled the very first bottle I selected. He swiftly detached the cork, poured a finger's width into a nearby glass, and then he presented it to me to give a taste. Now, apparently, not only was I required to choose our wine, but I also had to taste it to make sure that it was good enough for the rest of the adults to be able to drink at the table. So I lifted up this glass. Uh, I spun around the garnet-colored liquid as I had seen my parents do before. I, I lifted it to my nose and sniffed as I had seen my grandfather do before. And finally, I opened my mouth and I took a sip. Now, friends, I have to share with you that I didn't like it. I mean, I didn't like it at all. But I also knew that in that moment, I I couldn't grimace. I certainly couldn't spit the wine out. So I I forced myself to smile as I swallowed it and, and was praying that now this exercise had finally come to an end. When then Bruno said, tell me, tell me what you taste. I said, it tastes like the earth. In that moment, I glanced over at my mother to, to gauge her reaction in terms of whether I had said something right or wrong, and she was crestfallen. I mean, here we were, guests in a chateau, drinking wine from nearby fields, and the man who made the wine, who offered it to me, I just told him that his wine tasted like dirt. But before I had a chance to say anything else, to, to explain myself or to apologize, a giant smile stretched across Bruno's face, and he declared to all at the table, Merci beaucoup, très magnifique! I had, unwittingly, paid the man a compliment. It tastes like the earth. Abide in me as I abide in you, Jesus says to his disciples on their final evening together before the crucifixion and the eventual resurrection. The disciples have already feasted on the bread. They've consumed the cup. They've already had their feet washed by the Lord. And now it's time for a brief discourse on what happens next when all is said and done. The language of abiding has been common since the very very beginning of the church because, in a sense, it's a direct command from God. Abide in me as I abide in you. Throughout the centuries, we've come up with all sorts of ways to abide. Prayer practices, Bible studies, small groups, Sunday worship, constant communion, they're all attempts at abiding with the Lord who abides with us. And why do we do it? Well, we abide because Jesus is the vine and we are his branches. If we want to 
bear fruit in this world, in this life, then it will only be possible as a result of abiding with the one who abides with us. Except when you think about it, how can Jesus really ask us, the disciples, to, to abide in him? I mean, consider when he told the disciples that he was the true vine. It's right after this little lecture that Judas will betray him to death. Peter, disciple supreme, will quite literally not abide and deny his Lord when things fall apart. And the rest of the disciples will all leave Jesus to die alone. And yet it's to, it's to these disciples that Jesus says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Perhaps then, the focus for us is not about how we abide in Jesus, but how Jesus abides in us. That Jesus can command us to do this because of his promise to never ever let us go, even though we don't deserve it one little bit. When you think about the gospel story, it doesn't really run the way we think it's supposed to go. Our life with God does not end at a cross on a Friday like we might expect it would. In the time called life after Easter, it comes full circle. It ain't over between us. The Last Supper wasn't really the last at all. It was the first. The risen Christ with holes in his hands and, and a wound in his side, he shows up again and again, transforming our painful and broken lives by abiding with us, by joining us at the table for bread and wine. In steadfast love, God refuses to leave us or abandon us. God abides. God abides in us. Jesus goes on to say, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's fruit bearing. Fruit bearing, it seems to be the point of this adventure we call church. And so we establish programs and we make calls for actions and and we do whatever we think we can to make the world a better place. But that's actually not the same thing as bearing fruit. Because the point of the church, though we rarely discuss it, the point is to meet and be met by God. It is, to use the words of John today, a revealing of how God already abides in us. Being disciples, it's not all about the work we have to do or the list of requirements. Being a disciple is about abiding in Jesus. It's about resting in Jesus. Now, if anything comes from that, and it will, then it's good news. But the only thing we must do, the only thing we have to do, is abide, is rest. The goal of the Christian life, of following Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, who is the vine, it's not about amassing a set of deeds, good or bad, but it's about simply experiencing the life that the Word made flesh so wonderfully has given to us. It's sitting back at a table to which we deserve no invitation. It's about tasting the wine that is the blood of the Lamb and knowing that it sets us free for true liberty. Jesus did not come to dwell among us in order to display his own virtuosity. Sure, sure, Jesus tells his disciples to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect, but then a few chapters later, he goes on and on about how the only one we can ever recall good is God alone. Sure, he gives the disciples lists of do's and don'ts, but then when the disciples do the things they shouldn't and, or they avoid doing the things they know they should, how does Jesus respond? Does he kick them out of the kingdom? Does he banish them to an eternity of torment? No, Jesus abides in them. Jesus 
comes to dwell among us in order to bring us home to his father's house, to sit us down at the table as guests at the supper of the Lamb. Jesus desires our contentedness, not our suffering. Jesus offers us the good wine, not the sour vinegar. It's salvation. Salvation, the thing that Jesus comes to bring to fruition, it's not just a destination. It's not, it's not just something that happens to us when we die. It's our vocation. Salvation is about here and now. Life after, after Easter means today. And yet, we can't ignore Jesus' language with the vine imagery because it's all good and fine to talk about how Jesus abides in us and that we bear fruit in response. But he goes on to say, Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch, and it withers. Such branches, branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, we might imagine the big takeaway for us today is to consider what, or worse, who, needs to be cut off from our lives and then go out with some pruning shears and get to work. Perhaps there's that one relationship that keeps bringing you down, or you have a bad habit you need to kick, or you've made a mistake and the guilt won't go away. Fill in the blank. And then the church says, okay, time to get to work. The time has come to cut away all that stands between you and perfection. Go. But that's not what Jesus says. You see, according to the teller of the tale, God is the one who does the pruning. God is the divine grower. Get it? It's less about us finding what's wrong within us or among us and then going out to get it all fixed. And it's more about relinquishing ourselves to the will of God. It's more about letting go of that which we needn't hold on to and then letting God do the work God is here to do. It's not about doing all we can to become the very best versions of ourselves, but instead it's about considering how God is already at work in us because God abides in us. So maybe, just maybe, one of the things that God is working on, one of the things God is actively pruning, is our foolish belief that we have to make it through this life on our own, that we can only trust in our strength alone. Because, friends, we live in a society that is deeply drunk on the notion of independence, of making something of ourselves, no matter the cost. And yet, in another place, Jesus rather pointedly asks, what does it profit someone to gain the world and lose their life? A part of the Christian witness, something we avoid mentioning to our own detriment, is that we cannot make it through this life on our own. That we are all, each and every one of us, desperately in need of help from one another and from the Lord. And that's why, no matter how good of a job we do at mucking it all up, God continues to bear fruit through people like us who can bear no fruit on our own. God works in mysterious ways. And in the end, wine is offered at the table for a world that deserves nothing. Hear the good news. God in Christ arrives in a world, in a vineyard, that cannot bear any fruit on its own. It has given itself over to disease and abuse and pestilence and all sorts of other failures. But divine grower tills the ground, enriches the soil, and plants the seeds that are the word to bear fruit. Jesus, God in the flesh, enters 
into the soil that is the muck and the mire of our lives, of our worthless vineyards, becomes sin for us. And how do we respond? We nail him to a tree. We kill him. But then God gives him back to us. You see, the empty tomb is the first fruit of resurrection, offered freely to people like you and me for no other reason than the fact that God wants a full table at the Supper of the Lamb. When Jesus comes with holes in his hands and and a wound in his side, he doesn't come to see if we're sorry. He knows our repentance isn't worth all the effort we put into it because we keep on sinning anyway. Jesus doesn't come to count all of our good deeds. He knows our sins will always outweigh our virtues. And yet he comes back. He comes back to us. Jesus abides in us. Jesus forgives us. Jesus offers the fruit of salvation to us. He says, take, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Jesus offers salvation to us for free, for nothing. We do nothing, and we deserve nothing, and yet we are given everything. The invitation still stands. We get to taste the earthy fruit of the vine and know that it's for us. There is always a space at the table. What wondrous good news. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, whom truly to know is life everlasting, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, as the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to life and life abundant. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said. The vine, what the vine has done for us, with the giving of ourselves, our our time, our efforts, our prayers, but also with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, we have a drop slot by our main office doors, and you can bring your offering that way. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a place that bears God's fruit in this world, because God is the vine, and we are God's branches. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said and done is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, the God of Easter, the God who is the vine, 
that leads to the branches that bear fruit in this world. Help you to see and know and believe that God abides in you no matter how good you are or how bad you are. God loves you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to learn more about what life looks like in this time called Life After Easter. Find a way to celebrate this week and continue to rejoice in this time. Go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, and amen.